Bucknutters. It is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning Five and Change. I know it's November 2nd because it is my beautiful wife's birthday. As I said, it is her ex-annual 39th birthday. If you get up where I am, you guys know what that means. Today, we welcome the wonderful duo of Mark Porter and Bill Curlick, and we have a packed show for you. I don't know if you noticed this. There's been a lot going on in the football arena. We will talk recruiting. Huge visit weekend at Michigan State on the horizon. We will talk Tavian St. Clair, the future Ohio State quarterback. Both of our guys have had a chance to see him recently. We are going to do a deep dive on just what Ohio State will be getting out of the class of 2025 at quarterback. We will then discuss Rutgers and what the fighting Greg Shianos have in store for us. And we will finish with a quick chat on the fighting khakis and their ability to sustain the news cycle for we're going on. I know Bax did a Wednesday show over a week ago called Bax on Michigan. So uh, that should be something worth waiting for. First, William, we want to start the show with current events. Bill's Q&A is up there if you want to get in there and see what some of the other people asked about him. We have that on the site now. But it does seem like, at least for the class of 2024, Bill, all signs point to Michigan State's visit to Ohio State as being the the big weekend to count on. Yeah, the uh, the value of a night game when recruits can make it from farther away to your games. Um those 12 o'clock games are not easy to make it to. And interestingly enough, uh, one of Ohio State's top remaining 2024 targets, Amaris Williams, is supposed to be back at Florida this weekend for the Florida-Arkansas game. But that's a noon game, and he lives in North Carolina. So uh, that's why I say supposed to be back there for an unofficial <coughs> visit. We'll see if that happens. But uh, with Ohio State playing Michigan State at night, Potentially, the top five remaining guys on their 2024 board could all be in the horseshoe that night, and several of them on official visits. Jordan Seaton is still scheduled to make his official visit. The blue-chip offensive lineman that they would dearly love to the class, he's still scheduled to make his official visit for the Michigan State game. As we uh, had the news on earlier this week, They offered a scholarship to defensive lineman Carlin Jones, who is a Nebraska commitment. He is definitely scheduled to make his official visit to Ohio State for the Michigan State game. It took him, I don't know, maybe a few minutes to decide that he was going to do that once he got the Buckeye offer. Chance Robinson, expected to be in the house, a Miami commitment, uh, official visit there, um, is – Someone that certainly High State is looking still to add to the class, even though he is a Miami commitment. Uh, Deshaun Warner is maybe going to make an official visit for that game. We don't know for sure right now because the Arizona playoffs, um, they have two sets of playoffs. And 
it kind of depends on which playoff they're in as to when he uh, may get to Ohio State, either November 11th or November 18th. And then the previously mentioned Amaris Williams, he indicated um, earlier this week uh, that he is considering making it back to Ohio State. It wouldn't be an official visit. He made his official for the Penn State game, but he's considering making it back to Ohio State for the Michigan State game on an unofficial visit. So you look at those five. Those are the top five remaining targets right now for Ohio State for the class of 2024. They could all very well be in Ohio Stadium for the Michigan State game. So that's big. And then you've got a lot of other, a lot of, a lot of 2025 guys that are certainly Ohio State targets that will be on unofficial visits for that game. So that's your latest on the recruiting front. Um, speaking of 2025, one guy who could be in the house, Tavian St. Clair. So you know, we've had tons of coverage on Tavian throughout uh, the last, what, 18 months or so. But uh, I think the thing we have up there now, Mark's Buckeye in the Sky, is the best kind of up-to-date look at what you're getting. And I'll just say this. If you judge people on the eye test, Tavian St. Clair would get an extremely high grade. Um, he just moves like you want someone to move. I don't know how else to say that. It's like, I've looked at a million quarterbacks in my life and your eyes kind of pick up the pattern of what's right. He looks right. Mark, bring us up to speed on what you saw, what you expect out of him, progress, whatever you think the uh, people need to know about their future quarterback. Yeah. Uh, what's really impressive is uh, Bill saw him a couple of weeks ago against Jonathan Alder and I saw him against John Glenn and, I only needed a half to see him because it was pretty much over by the time I was walking out of there at halftime. He had four touchdowns, but Bill and I had discussed it. He, he he doesn't throw the ball a lot because the brand of football they're playing is the, what fits their team. They're running the ball a lot. Uh, they're not, they don't have four or five receivers that like make you want to throw the ball every play. They just have normal, good high school kids at the, the lower levels. It, it's not like, you have the posse or like it's it's really just a normal high school team and boom you have this unbelievable quarterback running the show so when they use him to throw the ball you see the flashes of brilliance and what's so impressive about the film you said it's such a great film it's only based off of a couple throws from two games it's not like i went through 10 games and handpicked 10 or 12 of his best throws throughout the year of his two or 300 throws it was like hey here are the seven throws from the first half here's all seven of them like, it, it was no smoke and mirrors of, hey, I'm going to throw out the one where he threw it into the ground and throw out the plate. And there aren't those plays. You're not uh, – I'm not hiding anything from you having seen him. Like, he doesn't make bad throws. You know, someone said, you know, with uh, his completions, he, he pretty much completed every pass because it's easy for him. He's like a big giant standing back there and just think, think, and just, you know, kind of peppers these guys with targets. So – the game he's playing is very efficient. Um, it, it's not meant to be flashy, but it is. Uh, as far as his talent, I wish I could say he's the perfect hybrid of Cardell Jones and Braxton Miller. Like if you scrunch those two into one, he's right in the middle. He's not quite as fast as Braxton. He's big like Cardell, and he's but he's got a little more athletic ability than Cardell. So that shades him more to Braxton. So I'm always trying to think of a comparison. Uh, He's not quite Cam Newton or Dante Culpepper, you know, that big 6'5", but maybe he could be, you know, the way he's grown. He's 6'4", 210. 
And like you say, you look at him in person and you're like, huh, pretty good. You know, like the, I don't have to lie about his height and say, yeah, he's six, four. No, he is six, four, six, five. So, you know, when you see him, you get shades of what he could be in a few years of being in the weight room. I mean, you have to realize he's just a shell of what's going to happen. Uh, what I like about him the most, though, is he's not robotic. And this will probably be my last point on him is a lot of coaches or a lot of quarterbacks get trained up where they only throw the ball one, two, three, four, plant and throw. It's like real repetitive. It looks the same every time. And it's not bad to be robotic as a quarterback. You almost want to be a human jugs machine. But where St. Clair breaks that mold is he can go off platform. He can throw the ball. There, there's a throw of him warming up where he literally does the no-look sidearm throw. And you know he's screwing around, but he has that to him. He doesn't have to be standing there on his fifth step or third step and plant and throw the ball. He can shuffle around and throw things off schedule. And that's kind of the part you like about him, the ad lib type part of his game where he's not just going to be a pocket guy. And, uh-oh, I don't know what to do once the, you know, the, the play breaks down. It seems like that's almost where he gets more comfortable. Uh, but, you know, I've covered him for your saying like the last year, 18 months, you can see the growth. Uh, definitely want to see him again at the Ohio State camp this summer because he's one of those fun guys that, like, look at the progression. Every time you see him, there's like 3 or 4% more progression, and it's starting to add up. He's also going to be big enough that when he walks in the room next year and all the other quarterbacks walk in with him uh, for the camp, it's going to be pretty obvious who the dude is. Um, there's a, Doug Shepard expressing some fear he's going to get to 6'7". Six seven's a different, different breed of cat, man. When you yeah. see six seven, it looks different. That's the break for me. Um, Bill, anything to add on St. Clair? You've seen him as well. Yeah, I um, yeah, I really could echo what Mark said, but um, I just think he's got such a high ceiling that um, really there's no limit how good he can be. Um, the growth that Mark mentioned, he is not the same guy that – Mark and I saw at Ohio State's camps when he, uh, a year ago, not this past summer, but a year ago, then seeing him this summer, it's like almost like you're watching two different guys. There's been so much of a change. And um, uh, the physical skills, to me, are just off the charts. And when you put him in a Ryan Day offense with Ryan Day working with him, Corey Dennis working with him, and Brian Hartline working with him, I think you've got tremendous potential. And we look forward to it. He's a Bell Fountain native, so it's not exactly like he's playing uh, at Moeller or St. X or whatever, but uh, he's progressed nicely. And, um, boy, the sky's the limit. They're set at quarterback um, with Aaron Nolan in 24 and then Tavian St. Clair in 25. No team is set up like that, especially when you consider the brain trust we have. Things look good at quarterback. All right. Let's do it like this. Let's talk about Michigan now, and we will finish with uh, Rutgers and then maybe some questions. The latest from the reality show that is Ann Arbor um, football. <laughs> According to Pete Thamel, who is the lead, uh, apparently, journalist with uh, – He's on fire here. Uh, the, the Big Ten coaches had a video conference call yesterday. According to Thamel, the call lasted, let's say, a couple hours. 
the first hour, Harbaugh is on there. The second hour, Harbaugh gets off because they're going to discuss Harbaugh and Michigan. And apparently they put pressure on Tony Petiti, the uh, grand poobah, as it were, of the Big Ten, to uh, take some action. Now, the, uh, the Big Ten can take action, and the NCAA can take action here if they see fit. We all know that the NCAA moves at a snail's pace. I saw Heather Dinich with a great statistic yesterday that the quickest NCAA investigation on record lasted 366 days. The longest one on record lasted something like 900 and something days. So some of these guys will be on their second NFL contract by then and it won't have the biggest impact. Now we reach the point where you have to ask down the stretch here, will anything happen to Michigan? Um, I will let you guys chime in on that. And if you've heard anything, this is obviously a big topic of discussion in the coaching community. The Athletic and Bruce Feldman did a piece where they surveyed 50 uh, coaches of, of different ilks. And does seem like everyone thinks they're pretty guilty. Uh, what's your vibes on the situation, Bill? Do you think it's going to affect recruiting? Have you heard from the recruits on this? Or is this kind of... Uh, a nuclear situation. Well, first of all, you mentioned the Grand Poobah. There, there's only one of those, and he's right here on this uh, uh, on this podcast. The the Grand Poobah Mark Porter, uh, duly noted, has, duly noted, has been yeah rightly uh, given that name by Mr. Dave Biddle. So um, it's interesting. I, you know, as we're sitting here, and I have my iPad in the background, I see. Uh, different uh, uh, posts coming up by highly regarded people. And half of them seem like they're about Michigan and the sign stealing situation. They just keep, it just keeps coming and coming and going. Um, you know, the, the situation with the NCAA, I would say that uh, the term I would use would be they move at a glacial pace. I don't expect anything to happen from the NCA for quite some time. I mean, they're still working on the other things. The first Har- Harbaugh situation with the uh, recruiting stuff and, uh, you know, the, the, the Mel Tucker stuff is still out there. Now they got this. It's going to be a while. But as you mentioned, Dan, the, the one body person that can do something uh, perhaps will do something quicker is the Big Ten. You know, they can do something. They can step in and do something um, at any point. Now, having said that, it's really, uh, it would really be uncommon for them to step in and do something during the middle of an NCA investigation. That doesn't happen very often. So while I think it could happen, and while the Coaches or the people on that call yesterday uh, want it to happen. I'm not, I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to, to be honest, right now, because it is really uncommon for the Big Ten to step in during the middle of an investigation and during the middle of a season and do something. So we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, what are they going to do? I mean, uh, there's a lot of potential penalties out there, you know, 
vacating wins, for instance, suspensions. Skyens has already been suspended. Competing for the Big Ten championship uh, game, you know, that, that certainly has been brought up. Fines has been, have been brought up, a bowl ban. There's a lot of things that have been brought up that could happen. I'm just not convinced right now that the Big Ten is going to step in during the middle of a season, the middle of an investigation, and take action like that. Yeah, far be it for me to uh, publicize another radio show. I don't even, are we a podcast or a radio show? Who knows? But Mike Valenti, 97.1 in uh, Detroit, does a midday show with a guy named Rico. And it is the most entertaining thing on this you can possibly get. Keep in mind, in, in Michigan, that is not a one-team state. So if you're doing radio, you got the Michigan guys in the morning. you got to have the Michigan state guys in drive time. So there's a more of a balance, whereas Columbus Radio is all uh, Ohio State-centric. However, it's definitely worth a listen, and they talk about what can happen. And like Bill said, Petiti is the only one with any control. The worst-case scenario uh, for the Big Ten is, you know, uh, Michigan wins out, wins the Big Ten, wins the Big Ten championship game, and you're getting ready for the playoffs, and more stuff comes out. And now all of a sudden your team that is representing the Big Ten looks like a big-time cheater. And, yes, that will bother um, everyone. But keep in mind, there's only four teams that go. What if Michigan keeps Texas out? And then during the playoff, it's found out that Michigan was even dirtier. How do you think the people at Texas will respond to that? My guess is not well at all. Um, So it will be interesting. Mark, your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to kind of go back to what I said last time about this and go a little deeper. Um, you know, the stuff we're seeing and the visual proof of, you know, stallions on the sidelines, standing next to coaches, the Ohio State clip where they're all pointing in the air because they know it's a pass play. That's what I talked about last time. As a play caller, you sit there all week with percentages in front of you. On second and eight, there's a 63% chance they're going to be in a 4-3. There's a 42% chance there's going to be in a, a 6-2. And, and you just beat your brain and you – you ask these coordinators to be mathematicians so when they get there, they can dial up the exact play to beat the exact coverage at the exact time. You're telling me that Michigan has a way that they know what's coming at all times and they can set their fronts and call their offenses into these things. And, boy, I, I think what maybe the fans would maybe need to see to take this a little deeper is the show an actual game where, okay, here's Ohio State on third and 10. They're calling all goes. Look at the Michigan sideline, uh, given the signal. Look at how they stopped this play on third and 10 because their coverage, they had seven guys in coverage. They knew what they were doing. And that, therefore, changed this game. Here's a little bit more later into that game. We're on a third and four. Uh, Michigan comes out in a run-stopping defense because they know Ohio State has zone to the right, two-yard loss. Ohio State loses the ball. Again, this is changing games. This is as close to cheating and changing the outcome of games live as you can possibly get. And that type of proof has to exist where, look at here's another call. Here's another call where each team who's calling plays 60 times in a game has put at this severe disadvantage where we have to over-execute. 
uh, I just think if you could get that reel together that shows, okay, look at them on the sidelines again. They're all doing this. Then here comes the, the defense that stops that. And, boy, I, I think that is a death penalty type of scenario. Like we were saying, yeah, you're going to vacate wins. You're not playing in the, the bowl games. And, you know, until we can get the stink off of you and, and prove that you're not cheating because you've gathered information on teams that you're going to play this year. How do we know it's not committed to your memory? You didn't look at it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and you don't already have a beat on the signals for Ohio State. I will say, um, you know, you see a lot of sidelines where you got like uh, Justin Fry wearing a green shirt, you got someone else wearing an orange shirt, a yellow shirt, and they're all doing signs. And yeah, you're trying to to hide the signs from other teams by having three or four guys holding up cards and having dummy signs, but. If you're the other team and you know the signs, how long does it take you to decipher which guy's live? Hey, the guy in red's the one calling the real stuff. Uh, we we watched the first. We had someone watching all three on the first series. It all matched up on the red guy. The red guy's live. Everything he says, we're watching it now. So that doesn't even decode this cheating. I mean, this is yeah. Well, that's go why you go to. That's why you go to eight games. Because then you have every single possible machination yep. of the colors. Yep. Okay. Yes. Every single situation, and you know, Navy SEAL guy sits down and and breaks it breaks it all down. Yeah, and and that's kind of what I'm getting at is this is really, boy, a deep dive into how you could cheat. I mean, if there's one way you other than tapping into their headphones with some signal, having some, uh, you know, Navy guy come in and say, "Hey, here's how you tap into the head signals," and we'll just listen to everything coming in and out. This is that. Uh, it really isn't. And I, I can't tell you, as a player, if you told me at my position, hey, this is run, this is pass, I'm coming off the ball in a different way. I'm coming totally. with my eyes in a different place. Uh, I'm ready for – I have a pass mushroom, pass mushroom pre-planned. I mean, it's really I, – I can't even tell you what percentage of an advantage it is. So that's why I think everybody's so fired up. Like, hey, this – we all saw the, the, the white Bronco driving down the freeway and that's what this is. You know, like we all see it. We all know, you know, and they're holding up this glove that, you know, doesn't fit saying, hey, you know, maybe there's some doubt that we really didn't do this and it's not as bad as you think. But the general public is, boy, it's hard to deny what's actually going on. And, and you know what? It's hard to deny how many wins they have under their belt that they don't deserve because they won a game by a possession or two because of what they were doing and you know, shame on these other teams in the Big Ten have to be so upset and so, uh, you know, like cheated. I mean, just flat out like, hey, you, you pulled our pants down in front of the whole conference and you made us naked and you beat us. And now we're standing here and we have no repercussion. Uh, I, that's a hard pill to swallow. And the, the part of me I said on the last podcast is the cynical part of me. It says this whole college football is too big to fail. The Big Ten's too big to fail. There's too much money involved here to screw this up for everybody. Uh, and I think, like I joked, like slap on the wrist is coming. Uh, you lose a few scholarships. You uh, get dinged a few things. But, you know, like I really am I'm scared that the people in charge won't do the right thing because the right thing is such a hard trigger to pull. And I kind of sit here and say, wow, if, if I'm the conference thing, uh, guy and i gotta pull this trigger to nuke this program for a year boy you're gonna have you know some personal backlash on you and it really puts a black eye on college football 
there's a lot to get to here. Uh, so give me, I'm going to take the floor here for a minute. First of all, the guy making the decision, Tony Petiti, interestingly enough, was in, was handling the same job for Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball when the Houston Astros were uh, banging on trash cans for curveball. Uh, so he's got some experience here on a national scale, Major League Baseball and the Big Ten, you know, huge entities. You mentioned the uh, the difference in on-field. In the Thamel story, he has the, the numbers. I'm going to read this. In the three years that Connor Stallions left a paper trail of purchasing tickets to games of Michigan opponents, the Wolverines have gone 33-3 and overall and 22-1 and in Big Ten play. In the prior three years, they were 21-11 and overall and 16-8 and in league play. And keep in mind, they bailed on uh, – the pandemic game against us. So that doesn't count. That's ridiculous in and of itself. I would also say this. I've not been in, I've been in charge at my job since I was about 30. I'm not talking about some major fiefdom or anything, but I do know this. When someone is in trouble and their first response is to attack the accuser or change the subject, I call it equivocation. They are guilty. Uh, if people are more concerned about who turns you in than the actual crime, they are guilty. Um, they, that doesn't mean the person who turned them in didn't do it under nefarious, uh, auspices, but when people try and make you scramble, they're guilty. Uh, that's just a fact. Now, are there exceptions to the rule there? I'm sure. But generally speaking, Every single person here who's ever been in charge of anything, including their own children, know when someone's guilty. And you can see how they act. It's a lot of deflection. Um, So will the Big Ten act? Who knows? I mean, I don't know Tony Petiti. All we know of Tony Petiti is the uh, the Houston Astros deal. There are some people that think, and, uh, you know, Valenti, I mentioned earlier, is a Michigan State grad. His comparison was, do you remember when D'Antonio was beating you like a drum and you couldn't figure out why at Michigan and you were verklempt about it? If you had found out he was cheating the whole time, how do you think you'd feel about it? And he said, D'Antonio will be run out on a rail because it's Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And Michigan and Ohio State are the Clydesdales of uh, this, this, uh, this conference. Don't kid yourself. Everyone says, oh, the ratings The ratings change when those two teams are in it. That's just a fact. So we shall see. It hasn't hurt our site for page views. I can tell you that. Um, so we have, and I'll tell you this, we always get, Dave and I joke about this, we always get a good number of Michigan fans that listen to this podcast. In fact, um, the pod, we get these statistics that tell us uh, the top five uh, podcast most recently, meaning over the past two days or so, which podcasts have been listened to the most. The what we learned after the Michigan loss has been in the top five or 10 pretty much since we put it up. And it's not Ohio State fans listening to it. Let me tell you that, okay? They're not enjoying that. That's Michigan fans coming over here and listening and wallowing in our grief. So feel free to go over to their site now and watch them wallow in their uh, deflections. Okay. Uh, how how would you like to be the Big Ten commissioner and have all of these things on your desk uh, 
to, to basically start your tenure uh, from the first Harbaugh situation to this one at Michigan and the Mel Tucker situation. That's a tough, uh, a tough position to be put in. And you, you mentioned about the Astros thing. Um, I think most people would now agree. In fact, uh, Manfred has said that if anything, his punishments were not tough enough in that situation. If he'd go back and do it again, you know, his comment about it's just a piece of uh, metal or the trophy or whatever, all that, that I think he would uh, be a little tougher now if he had those penalties to do over again. And look, we can talk about penalties too, but, and I put this on the boards. It doesn't matter what the penalty is. Now, if we're talking about officially what happens to like the football teams, yes, it's got to be official. But most of the people listening to this show are fans. Uh, most of Michigan lurkers are fans. So about your quality of life, if you're a Michigan fan, it has gone down. No matter where you go, no matter what you do going forward, when you talk about football, even the people who don't know football are going to make a Michigan joke at your expense in your face. If that doesn't bother you, you have nothing to worry about. But I'm talking every single time you bring it up, every single time you want to have that, that pride about beating Ohio State, you're not going to get the feedback you want. Now, you can hunker down, as I we've seen, or you know, with your other Michigan fans, but I'm telling you, you get on a plane in California from Los Angeles to Bangladesh and say you went to Michigan, you're a football fan, the joke is coming. Okay. Go ahead. The, the the internet is undefeated. And if you're a Michigan fan, you can't escape these memes. How many memes have you said? I had a great sign, but Michigan stole it. A right. gas stations are running things where we used to have a great sign here, but Michigan stole it. Like you're the laughing stock, and like you're saying, the butt of all jokes. Same with Notre Dame. Hey, why don't you get eleven men on the field? You're an academic institution for known for being smarter than everybody, and you had ten men on the field for the two biggest plays of your career. I mean, these are you know jokes that will travel the test of time. You know, five years from now, like. We got to deal with the little pants thing, you know, and the tattoo gate. And you got to, you yeah. know, the farther you get away from it, the less it stings. And Michigan is unfortunately uh, going to be in this situation for a while. And how the how the the Astro thing happened a number of years ago, and how many people are still calling them the cheating Houston Astros? A lot. I hear that all the time, and this is years later. It's not that common for media members to make flippant comments like that. And you could be watching a football show where a guy's talking about the Astros and he'll throw in the cheaters. You know what I mean? Um, God, the funniest thing I've ever seen. There have been some really funny memes on the Astros thing with guys with like trash cans and they look like Hiawatha banging on them. Um, This is going to be very interesting to follow here. And I will also say this, and I said it on the other, uh, the earlier show this week, boy, Michigan better win. Their, their remaining games. You, if no. you don't think there's never been more pressure on Michigan to beat Purdue than this weekend ever. Okay. And not just beat them by four, seven or 14 points because they've been winning games by significant margins. And if all of a sudden these games start getting close, <laughs> you know, really I, I, have, I, I have a thing where once you've been cheating, you don't know how to play when you're not cheating. How do you call defenses when you don't know what's coming? How do you call plays when you don't know what defenses are going to be in? You know, I, 
there's a lot where, yeah, they could be swimming naked for the first time. And, hey, this is the first time we've ever been caught on third down where we don't know how to set you guys up. You know, it's the, the, there is a, a nakedness. They might, I'm trying to think of, it's you know, I, I took. I started taking some, you yeah, some but yeah, I started taking some vitamins and stuff to work out one time and my workouts felt great. And I ran out of vitamins and I didn't feel like getting more. Uh, I went into the gym a couple of times on my bike and I was like, Oh my God, I'm not the human I thought I was. Right. And once you work out naked, it's sort of like what Michigan's going to go through. Like you're saying, like Purdue might be a problem all of a sudden, you know, like that, that weight you used to be lifting is a lot heavier than it was before. The truth hurts, man. Um, yeah. Jim Mullally, this question has been asked. No chance, Lance Ito. There is no chance Michigan gets the death penalty. Um, that I will guarantee you. Now, they could get some crazy suspension, but there is not a chance on God's green earth they're getting uh, the death penalty. Too much, too many powerful people uh, behind that. Um, we could sit and talk about this forever. I, I, I think of... Uh, comical stuff that comes up but like i said uh it's all in gary uh, gary tony petiti's lap um i imagine like i said if you want to follow yes yeah, like, uh, valenti hold on a sec valenti went to michigan state like i said i preface that for those of you saying that in the chat i get it but it's kind of halfway there you don't feel as dirty as an ohio state person talking about michigan and it's kind of a halfway point so it's very interesting go ahead mark you know, it, this isn't like a legal thing, but you can't get any of these guys under oath. You can't get the Michigan football staff or a couple of their GAs under an oath and say, hey, were you guys stealing signs and, and get them to say, well, I'm either going to go to jail or I got to tell the truth. And they tell the truth. Yeah, we did with a staff meeting. We met every week and we told them what to get. And then we sat there and we had diagrams and you're never going to get that. But I think everybody knows on some level that this was communicated behind the scenes. Uh, and, and it's amazing how there's not a leaker. There's not like a staff member somewhere else who's like, oh, yeah, we, we did this. And, you know, but you have the receipts, you have him at the games, you have him filming things, you have things paid for. It's like this was a this was a weekly operation where there was probably some sort of a staff meeting for an hour or two or a sidebar meeting where, hey, uh, what, what, who broke down the films and how much time did you spend deciphering these things? I mean. Boy, if we could get some of this stuff under oath, it would unravel before your eyes faster than you could believe. That's why the uh, the plausible deni deniability and the rogue aspect of it. Look, man, just use the golden rule for this, right? Just apply if this happened to Ohio State. Can you imagine if Ohio State had an assistant coach on the sideline at Cincinnati playing against one of our opponents and scouting. What would the Michigan people do about that? They've put this Connor Stallions guy off as like this kook. But come on, man. He was – he. do you know how many people apply to work at 24-7 sports? A lot. Just to be next to football. Do you know how many people apply and want to be on the sideline at Michigan? And some guy just writes a manifesto and they just like – He's rogue, yet he's standing next to the coordinators during the game. The idea that you get a field pass and go anywhere near the squared circle that they let the – there's like secret service men standing there. It's like trying to get into, you know, like uh, Studio 54 in 1979, man. It's absolutely not – the idea that you could just like 
oh, I'm next to Harbaugh. Hey, run sweep. Th that's just so preposterous that uh, it's it's crazy talk, man. Seriously, uh, go and rule it. Go ahead, Bill. I was going to say also, um, you hear now, well, Harbaugh knew nothing about this. Well, even if he didn't, uh, there was a bylaw change yep. in January that says basically that even if you don't know about it, if you're in charge, you can be held responsible for that. So because of that bylaw change in January, even the defense of not knowing about it, which again is seems preposterous to me, but even if true, he can still be held responsible for this. Here's one, and we'll move on after this and talk a little about Rutgers, but here's what I think is also funny. If you say Harbaugh didn't know. So they just started kicking everyone's ass and Harbaugh was like, man, I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> Look at this. We couldn't beat this team before. Nothing's happened. All of a sudden that call worked. I am, I am a really good coach. I've really improved. So you're telling me the coach didn't notice that they got that much better? That's a greater indictment than him knowing about it. What are we talking about here? So give me a break. All right. And it, and it because it I think because it yielded results, they kept with it for years. It's not like, hey, we stole these signs. It really didn't make a difference. It was like, no, inject more money, inject get the more games, follow more opponents. Like this is working. This is the secret sauce. Yeah. So this will be my last point on it. And there's a lot of anecdotal stuff. The most popular one being the TCU. They didn't scout correctly or the signs were changed. Josh Gaddis was the offensive coordinator at Michigan and won the award for coordinator of the year. He left and went to Miami and got fired after one year. So you ask yourself this question. Does that make any sense to you? Did he get worse on the flight to Miami? Was it just that he, he couldn't, the beach was just too much of a distraction for him, for him to be in the film room? So when you start, yes, circumstantial evidence is circumstantial evidence. But when there's a ton of it, um, it's a smoke fire deal. And, uh, oh, my God, the Fong just crystal balled Devin Sanchez to Ohio State live. What would be really cool if one of the Sanchez parents could chime in here. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it may happen, Bill. Oh, well, hi, absolutely. Don't you chuckle. Don't you chuckle. And uh, 38 no minutes into this right podcast. Now, State leads for Devin. I mean, I mean, uh, like he told player. me right after that uh, Penn State game, he said, uh, if they keep doing what they are doing, they're going to run away with this uh, recruitment. And I don't think Ohio State is going to change a lot of what they're doing when they're doing it so well. We didn't talk about uh, the defensive back haul that could be coming for Ohio State. Um, but I'll say this. If it goes the way I expect, and Bill, let's not comment on this because we'll be here for another 45 minutes. <laughs> it could be, you could start to see Ohio State recruiting defensive backs in the same light we see wide receivers right now. I'll just say that. All right, Rutgers. Bill, your thoughts? Well, impressive job to begin with by Greg Schiano. I mean, he's got the uh, fighting Rutgers at six and two and bowl eligible already. That's pretty impressive. Um, you know, they're they're, uh, they're a good team. And going there is not going to be a cakewalk, I don't necessarily think. Um, their offense, though, is pretty pedestrian. You know, I, I think uh, they're – 
not even in the top 100 offensively. The one thing they do fairly well offensively is run the ball, but that doesn't match up well against Ohio State because Ohio State has been pretty darn successful at stopping the run. I can't believe that Ohio State, that they're going to just run the ball an entire game down Ohio State's throat. Their quarterback, uh, Wimsat, is pretty good as far as running the ball. Um, on the other hand, Rutgers' defense is pretty good, especially against the pass. And we know Ohio State has been, I guess you'd say, is struggling a little bit at times with the pass lately. Um, but uh, the other thing I would say is that the, the Rutgers did give Michigan a game for a half. I think it was 7-7, if I remember right, late in the second quarter. I believe Michigan may have scored a touchdown at the end of the second quarter to take a, 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 a one-touchdown lead at half. But they did give Michigan a game. Uh, to halftime. Now, having said all that, I think eventually Ohio State is going to pull away and win this game. It just may not happen uh, just like that, but eventually I think they will pull away and win this game by at least a couple touchdowns. Uh, I want to mention that in terms of jokes, when you said Rutgers and Michigan were close at halftime, the joke there is they were just getting their signs together for the second half and getting everything settled because (laughs) that's how they do it. Um, anyway, that's what could happen joke-wise, Bill, not really. There's a question asked, Mark, before we get to your thoughts on Rutgers, because I wanted to mention this guy. One of the names that's uh, really popping up on the recruiting front is the Columbus name, uh, Dwayne Galloway out of Marion Franklin. 6'2", runs like the wind. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, his offer list has gone through the roof the last couple uh, months here. And we've been following the offers and the film. Uh, unfortunately, they got knocked out of the playoffs last week by uh, St. Clairsville, I believe. And I was hoping they could have made it one more week so I could have got a chance to see him. I didn't want to go down there along uh, the I-70 uh, towards uh, West Virginia to check out the game last week. It didn't fit my you know, uh, geographic needs. But you know what? Well, we're going to have to dive into him a little, you know, deeper as we get into the offseason and, you know, we start looking at guys. But uh, I believe he's related to the Galloway that is headed to Purdue, uh, that was headed to LSU, the tight end that started at Unoto, went to Chillicothe, and is now at Pickerington Central for his senior year. He's on his third school in three years. Uh, remember Tavian Galloway? Yeah. So yes. there, there's, yes. there's some there's a connection there. Uh, so I think he's been on a lot of the trips and he's been around and the coaches are familiar with him. Uh, but yeah, that's what, what I have on him so far. It, you know, and it's like people want to know is he Ohio State? It's too soon to tell until I look at the board of other guys at his position. Definitely going to be one of the top guys at his position, but Ohio State usually only takes one or two at each position. Are there other guys that are going to outrank him by the end of the year, nationally or in Ohio? And your thoughts on the fighting Greg Shianos? Uh, if this game is week one through four, I'm extremely worried, okay, because, you know, because we're not who we are weeks one through four yet, and that's based off what I've been watching on tape. I I really, boy, don't want to see this team early in the season. Right now, uh, we said it in the last, our confidence about our defense, yeah, just keep throwing them out there against Penn State. Don't worry. They're not going to break the 50. They can't beat that defense. You start to have confidence and stuff like that. I have confidence in our offensive line now. The way they're coming off the ball, uh, 5% better than they were three weeks ago, more schemes, more diverse. 
uh, I think we're really starting to click. And I'd be surprised if we didn't start our trend towards peaking. Um, I, I think this is the type of game you want to get off and show everybody, hey, we're we're running at full speed now. We're, you know, even though we have a few guys injuries, whatever, we're too big to fail. And I think that's where we're at. I, I think it's a 10 or 14 point victory. Uh, if Ohio State didn't get the 25 or 30 points, that would kind of boggle my mind the way they're playing. Uh, so I, I think we're okay. I don't have the, the angst or nervousness I may have had earlier in the year. Like, yeah, I don't know who we are yet. But I think I know who we are. Make sure you check out the boarding house today. I've got talked to an NFL person who will, you'll be surprised about one of the offensive linemen they think is playing a lot better. Excuse me for taking a deep breath there. My thoughts on Rutgers. I have said this. This is going to be the kitchen sink game. They run uh, a high school offense. They don't throw the ball. And they're going to be like trick plays. You're going to see two or three trick plays in this game, my guess, is that you've never seen before. Because that Shiano knows very well he cannot play us straight up and, and win. This is a big deal game to Kyle McCord. Uh, I'm not sure they were season ticket holders, but he grew up a Rutgers fan, going to Rutgers games. He has a ton of respect for Greg Schiano. This is the Kyle McCord game. Am I saying this out loud to hopefully speak it into existence? You're damn right I am. Okay? But I really thought last week was going to be that game because if you look, the interceptions, had they just not thrown those, that game was going to be 24 nothing, And 24 nothing turns into 40 nothing, And then you're 40-7 to and you're a media darling. I think this is the week they break out. I would not be surprised to see Emeka Egbuka go to town in this game if he's healthy. Um, I know that there'll be an emphasis on getting him the ball and getting him rolling when they get back. But my main overriding vibe is stay healthy. I don't believe in sitting people for games. But if they told me they were going to sit Travion Henderson for the next two games because of his, uh, you know, injury that would not even bother me uh, that's a drastic maneuver considering the fact Mayan Williams is down but when I look at this team I really think they can go to Michigan and win if Marvin's healthy if Kyle's healthy if Travion's healthy if Emeka is healthy I don't see them having as much success if they're not at full speed I mean look I've been a tough on Travion Henderson but you saw the difference when he was in the game and he's healthy. It just changes the offense. So um, we shall see what works out there. I will go with Ohio State, and I'll put this in the thing. I'll go Ohio State 40, Rutgers 16. There you have it. Um, guess what? This content that we discussed today is not going anywhere. I'm sure next Tuesday we'll be talking Michigan and recruiting in Ohio State and the day after that and the day after that because this thing's got some serious legs. And like I said before, man, Michigan fans, if Purdue gets the ball first and goes up 7 nothing, that sweat you feel is not going to feel too good. So uh, I, on the other hand, will be chuckling. I appreciate these guys stopping by. We'll have a total report on everything they saw on Monday. Five, 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 five,